Later on, we're going to have a we look at some particular words in that passage. And I think it might be helpful tonight, if, you, if you've got one handy, to open one of the Bibles. Um, I think it's around page 5960 where that, that um, portion, of, portion of Scripture was taken from. And you, you'll see why I'm suggesting that you actually have the words in front of you, if you can, if you can. If you can't, that's fine. And I realise that the ambient lighting's a bit different than in the mornings. <laughs> Not so long ago, um, we were sharing, we had the pleasure of a meal with some neighbours that we met um, while a TV crew was digging in our garden. Um, and our neighbours were also involved in this adventure. And uh, we, we hadn't met them before. They were in the, in the neighbourhood, not next door to us. And so we, we had them around for a, a meal. And um, they weren't from Scotland, so... Um, I was immediately um, interested, for obvious reasons. And we got onto, the, onto that sort of subject of um, people's names. Now, you have to realise that this was all before um, Lady Susan Hussey's unfortunate discussion in Buckingham Palace when she was asking someone where they were from. But we got into this discussion about names, and they had fascinating names because the children's names were named after the days of the week. So one of the children was called Kofi. Uh, and I made a big deal about this because of Kofi Annan, the further the UN guy from many years ago. And the other person, the other girl was, the girl was called Aqua, which was the name for Friday because in their culture, Tuesday, sorry, Heather, um, I got my, got my names wrong. Um, my day's wrong, but in their culture, people were named after the days of the week. But then the discussion got really, really quite unexpected because I asked um, the mother what her names were, and she had a string of names. And she explained to me that each name had a, a tribal significance, but also a geographical significance. And there were, there were quite a number of them. Number of them. But she got up to about her fourth or fifth name and her husband stopped her and he said, I didn't know that was your name. <laughs> and I blushed. But what a beautiful, what a beautiful moment that after 20 years of marriage or so, they were still getting to know each other and they were still getting to know each other's names. Now, in an entirely different context and in a different place, I want you later to ask Linda Gillespie about the guy she once dated called Archie. That's for later. <clears throat> Could you put the first slide up, Neil? Thanks. <clears throat> We're obviously talking about the names of God and the significance of that. And this is quite an interesting slide because it produces lots of different names of God. And last evening service, Scott shared with us the significance of the name Father, Father God. I want to take us to another place tonight, almost to the opposite extreme. When I was praying, I was talking to my daddy. Um, but at the opposite extreme is that awesome name that I want to talk about tonight a little bit. Um, in its simplest form, it's Lord. Okay. Um, but I wonder, have you ever stopped to think about what 
that name is, what that name means. What does, what does Lord mean? Now, <clears throat> this is where it gets dangerous for me. I am not a wordsmith, okay? Uh, I really struggle with the English language, so trying any other language is going to be a bit of a challenge for me. But it, it's worth us doing a wee small bit of language. Uh, Neil, if you could pop the next slide up. The most important name for God in the Old Testament in our English Bibles gets translated as Lord. Now you might know this or you might not, but when you look at the word in your Bibles, Lord, you'll see that it's capitalised with a little capital. And that's a deliberate thing that the translators do to, to specify that it's a word for another word. Kind of hard to understand this, and I've been tr spending a lot of time trying to wrap my head around it. But it's, it's the word that's used in English um, for another word that we would write using the, the, the letters Y-H-W-H. Now that's a word that the, Jewish, that the Jews of the Old Testament would simply not use. It might be translated today something like Yahweh, Yahweh, the, the, the word that we, that, we, that we know from songs and the like. But it was a word that because the Jews wouldn't use, they would substitute it with another word, which is, which is it's kind of weird. But when we get to the word Lord, it's the word for God that's a substitute for this word that is so holy that the, that the Jews won't, won't use it. And I've been puzzled as to how I was going to explain that to you in a way that was interesting, other than sort of doing that wee short language lesson. Um, and I suspect that what I've just said, that a, a Jewish uh, or a Hebrew scholar would just be horrified at, but it's, it's, it's quite a nuance. And we get help from that when we get into the passage that we're looking at in Exodus. Thanks, Neil. We can pop, pop the slide off. But going back to my original question, what does Lord mean? And it's kind of hard to answer that question because I've just said, well, Lord is a word for another word that won't get used. If you go to Exodus 3, 13 to 15, I want to just reread that, that, that exchange because we see this, this amazing story of God calling Moses and he gets Moses and he reads this or he has this wonderful exchange. Now, I've tried to picture what that exchange must have been like when they were, when he, when, when, when he came before the burning bush. And I went back and I looked for, for clips on YouTube for that old 1950s movie. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Charlton <laughs> Heston. You know what? Hollywood completely bottle it. And they don't bother going to these verses. Because I wanted to see what Hollywood made of this exchange between Moses and God, where Moses says, well, suppose I go and tell the Israelites all about you. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 14. God said to Moses, 
And just notice the capitals here. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Capitals, again, I am has sent me to you. Now, there's a more recent version of the Ten Commandments that, Cameron, I think we watched it at a Scripture Union weekend years ago. Uh, animation from the 1990s, The Prince of Egypt. Has anybody seen that one? They don't bottle it. So when you look at the clip of this moment in that, in that um, animation, they do have that incredible moment where God is saying to Moses, I am that I am. That's my name. I am that I am. That's my name. I am. It's, it's kind of mystical. And I've got, to be, to be honest, I've got stuck with it. And I've got stuck with it for years and years and years because it's almost like circular. What's your name? I am. I am that I am. Or um, there's also a footnote that says, I will be what I will be. That's what God calls himself. And that's what he tries to explain to us human beings. And it, even as I'm speaking, I can tell that I'm, I'm saying those names in a, almost a mystifying way that's, that's almost hard to grasp. But I think that is the point. Lord, God Almighty, Lord Jesus Christ, when we use that word Lord, do we really think about what it means? Do we know that what sits behind it is a word that is so holy that the, that the Jews of the time would not use it? So holy that they would not use it and they substituted it with this, with this initial, these four initials that could not be spoken. And then they substitute that with another name. It's, it's incredible when we think at one end of the spectrum, he's our daddy, he's our father. At the other end of the spectrum, he has a name that almost cannot be uttered. I am that I am. Well, that's all very interesting, you say, but we're not here to do a language course. So what, what can we glean from the Lord? What can we glean from the name? Because we all have names, and there's a significance in all our names. I want to try and give you just four attributes of the Lord that we can take from his name. Just four. There are many, many more. And I suspect as we go through this service, Scott and others will start to draw this out more and more. But here's, here's the four for, to, for tonight. Think about the boldness of that phrase, I am. God said to Moses, verse 14, all in capitals, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's bold. And the first assertion that's being made is that God exists. <laughs> now you say, well, there's, there's nothing new in that. Uh, we, we, that seems so obvious that it shouldn't even be said. But I wonder, I wonder if we can just capture that for a moment. If God exists... Why do we live as if he doesn't? 
Or why does society live as if he doesn't exist? I don't know if you saw the recent census results that talked about, because the headline writers love it, don't they, the decline in Christianity. But one of the underlying stats was that uh, people who professed to be Christians in the UK had dropped from 59% to 46%. I do not believe that for a minute. If it's true, then nearly 50% of people in this country must believe that the God that Christians worship exists. And I see absolutely no evidence of that. At best, people seem to accept the existence of God like they, like they accept the existence of oxygen. I believe in oxygen. I, I can get through my whole life without considering its importance. I accept that oxygen exists. But frankly, it's of no relevance to me whatsoever. And I think that's kind of what most folk think of Yahweh, of the Lord. You see, some might say that they are Christian. But you sit them down and you ask them, and you have that conversation and they say, well, I accept that there is a God, I accept that there is a divine being, but I, I, I really don't take it much more beyond that. They don't know God. They don't know God's name. They certainly don't know God by name. But, but God's existence is contained in his, in his name. I am? What's your name? I am. Second point. There is nothing behind God. Now, there's a whole bunch of scientists sitting over here, so I'm getting into dodgy ground. Implicit in the Lord's name is the idea that his personality and his power comes from himself. His personality and his power comes from himself. He is a being that self-exists. Now, if you stop and think about that, it's kind of mind-boggling. Think back to the beginning of the universe. What's the very first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's in the beginning of what we know. But he already existed. <clears throat> when God says, I am who I am, he's saying, I just am. My personality and my power comes from me. Now just try and wrap your head around that for a moment. Think of everything. Think of everything that you know. Think of the smallest bit of dust in this room, the smallest bit of dust up your nose. And then think of the galaxies and think of the universe. Without God, it doesn't exist. And he exists beyond it. He exists beyond everything that we can grasp our minds around. And that's why his name is amazing. I am. I can't think of a better name for God, actually. So he, he probably got it right. <laughs> 
God says, I am, and that is my name. He wasn't made by anyone. He didn't come from anything. No power brought him into existence, and he wasn't shaped by anything. He has no beginning. And the big point is that there is no reality. There is no reality outside of him, outside of I am. He is. He is absolute. Is that not truly mind-boggling? Do you know the great, you know the great gotcha question in Sunday school? Where did God come from? God's answer is, I am. And that's why I'm kind of struggling to, to, to even preach that tonight, because is it not just hard to get your head around? I am. You know, we sing a song, we, I, I sometimes think we sing this song too often in the morning services. My God is a great big God. The theology in that song is amazing. There, there are literally hundreds of PhDs written about that piece of theology. And he knows me, and he loves me, since before the world began. He knows me, and he loves me, since before the world began. It's summed up in his name. I am Yahweh, Lord. Thirdly, God is his own source of energy, and I love that. It follows that if there's nothing behind him, if there's nothing that's made him, he is his own source of energy. He's self-sustaining. In Bible language, he's from everlasting to everlasting. I read that verse at the, those verses at the beginning from Isaiah 9. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That verse cannot be true. Unless God is I am. His manifesto, an everlasting father with an economic policy that, that involves increasing his government. And there is no end. Our politicians constantly talk about the growth in the economy because it needs to grow and grow and grow. And one of the flaws with capitalism is that that just can't be right in a finite world. But in God's economy, there is no end to his government and it will increase forever because he's self-sustaining. It's, it's miraculous. And that goes back to who he is, to what his name is. I am. It's mind-boggling. My fourth point and my last point. God does not change. I am who I am. The name God's, God, God himself reveals that he does not change. God cannot be subject to any force outside of himself. There's no subject that can change him. He cannot be influenced by anything unless he chooses. His changelessness is our foundation. Think of all those 
passages in the Psalms. Um, he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. He's our strong tower. God says, I am who I am. James says he does not change. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, forever. Can you see how important that is, that God does not change? He is the great unchangeable I am. We've been singing that. So those four points that we get from his name, God exists. There's nothing beyond him. He is his own source of energy. And he does not change. Now there's one final link I want to make tonight, which is really important. View it like a hypertext link from the Old Testament to the New Testament through to John's Gospel. And, it, and we find this in John 8, 58. You see, this radical, difficult, nomadic Jewish rabbi had made his way down and he was having a good ding-dong argument with the Pharisees. And I love it when people argue with lawyers. And he got to the end of this discussion with them and he said it um, at verse 58 in John 8. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, you won't be surprised to read the next sentence. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Can you see the significance of that? That the reason Jesus had to be killed was absolute blasphemy. Because he was, he was using that name that could not be that could not be said. And he was claiming that he was that name. It's incredible. Ultimately, it's that which led to his death, his death for us. So Jesus takes that name that the Lord gave to Moses on, on that day in Exodus 3, and he claimed it for himself because Jesus is the I am as well. And we can have confidence in that. So that's my little language lesson. I am that I am. What's your name? I am that I am. Amen.